the economics are really clear. The cheapest source of power across the planet right now is new solar. That's why new solar and wind are the fastest growing and the dominant form of new generation across the planet everywhere right now. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast, an environmental podcast about everything linked to climate change, because frankly, everything is Named Age of Plastic because it's often the gateway issue for most of us, isn't it? I'm Andrea Fox, your host. If you haven't caught up with the first episode from this series, that was last week's episode with Jeremy Lang from Peeler talking about cutting out the garbage man and dealing with all of your compost at home with their new Lomi, which is being created as we speak. Just seen in the UK, a TV show we have to carry all your garbage around with you, obviously with celebrities. Could you do that? I'm thinking it's a big fat no from me. Coming up on the show today, new this series, my guilty consumer section of the show, all about armpits today and the good news section. But first, on to today's guest. Today, I'm talking to the CEO of Earthkind Energy Consulting and the host of the awesome Earthkind podcast, which discusses how the forces of nature, earth, air, water and the sun can provide all the energy we need as a planet a thousand times over. That guest today is Ron Kamen. Find out from Ron today how efficient we are when it comes to our energy, the best flavour of clean energy, hydro, solar, thermal, tidal, wind, what's behind the energy issues that we're experiencing at the moment. There is a gas shortage here in the UK currently, which is rising prices and other issues, including an issue at a fire at a station that brings over electricity from the EU. We talk about extreme weather. We also talk about carbon capture technology and what to look out for when picking a clean energy provider, plus the Code Red Climate Campaign, which Ron is backing. Here is my chat with Ron Kamen, a clean energy thought leader. And here he is describing his experience in the energy sector. Sure. How much time do you want to spend? You've done quite a bit, I know. Uh, <laughs> Give us the headlines. Yeah. So I've been doing clean energy for all my career, over three decades, actually. And I started out as a community organizer and working with people, senior citizens primarily on fixed incomes, who were literally shutting down chunks of their homes because they couldn't afford to heat and eat. The price of energy was going through the ceiling. We were at that time phasing in the cost of the nuclear power plants and energy that was supposed to be, quote, too cheap to meter, unquote, had cost overruns that took it from a few hundred million dollars to a billion to at $4.2 billion. We got consumer caps put on the cost and at $7 billion, it bankrupted a number of different utilities, including the Long Island Lighting Company, which then got taken over by the government because they couldn't afford to not have an entity that would provide electricity on Long Island, uh, which has over a million people there. So yeah, so I started out as a community organizer working with people to fight unfair and unreasonable utility rate increases. And over the years, I became an energy policy expert. I started working and finding out more and more about energy. And then I had folks who were living near landfills who were looking at the work that we were doing on energy and saying, hey, you know, these landfills are polluting our water supplies. Can you help us deal with this issue? And eventually, I realized that energy and the environment was what made my life tick. It was became my mission in my, in my life. I realized very clearly that energy is so central to everything we do. Um, it's, it's a key to 
hole in the ozone, deforestation, toxic and nuclear waste. Um, it's basically all the climate disasters, 90% of it is just from the energy we're consuming. So I became an energy and environmental guy, and I started working to set up clean energy policies and then rolled out clean energy programs. And for the last two decades, I've been working with businesses, nonprofits, communities, municipalities, and figuring out how to make clean energy transformations that would have a positive environmental impact, but also save them money. Because I think ultimately to really be sustainable, we have to figure out ways of making it cost-effective for people. And I've been lucky enough all my career to help people do that. And I love making that happen. So Yeah, it's amazing. And if people do want to pick your brains about all your knowledge, we're going to get to how you can contact Ron at the end of today's episode. But in all of that experience, I wanted to ask you how you think our energy consumption has changed and what do you think is likely to happen to it in the future? Sure. So, you know, a bunch of things have happened, some of them quietly and behind the scenes and other ones a little more clearly in front of us. But one of the things that folks haven't realized is that we really have been becoming much more energy efficient over time. And I started out doing actually energy efficient lighting projects. And at the time, um, and still today, there were people who are using incandescent light bulbs, right? So a regular Edison type of light bulb that was invented over 100 years ago. And those light bulbs, actually, those incandescent uh, light bulbs, most of the energy produces heat and not visible light. And that's why when you take a 100 watt light bulb and you touch it after it's been on a while, you burn your hand because most of that energy is being wasted in the form of heat. And we move from incandescent light bulbs to fluorescent and compact fluorescence. And now we've made the jump to a much more efficient technology called light emitting diodes or LEDs. And light emitting diodes, LEDs are 90% more efficient than incandescent lights, which means that for every unit of energy you put in it, mostly you get out of it is usable light, which is what we wanted it for was to create light. So that type of efficiency has gone on in the lighting industry, but it's also gone on in the heating industry, cooling, and to a certain extent in the automotive and transportation industry as well, where we've made great strides in being able to deliver the same output, but using a lot less energy as the input. So efficiency has been a tremendous change over time. People don't realize it, but we produce the same amount of economic output using half the energy that we used to use to do the same thing. So that's been a tremendous thing to watch. Simultaneously, across the world and in most parts of the world, we've really seen this transition from coal, which used to be the dominant form of electricity generation, to other sources of electric generation power. Right now, um, you know, coal and oil used to be the only way that we would get electricity. We would burn coal, we would burn oil, and that used to be the majority of it. And we've moved to uh, more efficient in some ways. Um, interesting, we'll have a discussion about other types of fossil fuels like natural gas, which um, has become a big piece of the equation. Nuclear is still out there, and we could talk about that. Not really a fossil fuel, but definitely a, a less renewable reason and there's a host of different issues that comes with that. But the fascinating thing, I think, is that in this last decade, what we've seen is the renewable forms of energy just come onto their own. So we've seen wind and solar power, and in particular solar power now, the price has come down so much that it is actually the leading source of new generation everywhere on the planet, because it's the cheapest form of electricity generation now. And we've got in the 
power of that sun, that little ball up in the sky, that little nuclear power plant that sustains all life in this part of the universe, we've got more energy than we can conceivably use. Thomas Edison said, quote, what a source of power. I hope we don't have to run out of gas and oil before we start using that. And now we're getting to the point where we can, and it's become the cheapest source of power on the planet. And that's amazing to see is those sources of renewables coming. So, yeah. Because yeah. it transitions. has to be workable, doesn't it? Like you say, it has to be affordable for the average consumer. Yeah. I mean, it's all great to be clean and green and to pay a little bit extra to help start things off. But ultimately, if we're going to have the changes that we need, we have to be able to save money. And we have to have an economic argument behind it. And that's the great part about these technologies is that they've now come into their own and they are actually saving people money, which is why more and more mm. people are making that transition. Now, I feel like I might kind of know where you're going to go with this next answer. But do you think that all renewable energy is made equal because i'm thinking like geothermal wind solar tidal biomass like i feel like you have a bit of a favorite <laughs> well you know so look all, all of it ultimately comes from the sun so when you could tap right into the power of the sun that's really the source of all energy on on the planet right and when you take a look at how does that impact the sun generates the energy and the heat that actually creates the wind so that creates the wind power and if it wasn't for the sun we wouldn't have liquid water so that's water power and if it wasn't for the sun we wouldn't have a planet to live on so you know in some sense they're all life and all energy really comes from the sun ultimately and biomass is really the accumulation of solar energy over time in dead creatures that then wind up in the earth and even fossil fuels then are actually derived secondarily from the sun so the sun is really the best most usable form of energy around and if you can tap directly into that that's there but as we all know it does get dark at night and then clouds come so you can't have the sun all the time so it's nice to have these other sources of renewables as well and to have battery storage and other forms of storage capability so that you can get solar on demand when you need it all night long and all seasons long and all year long but when you take to look at sun and you combine it with wind in particular wind and so wind and sun are really a great resource because usually when it's the hottest there's the least amount of wind and usually when it's nighttime and cooler there's more wind so those are complementary resources and those go very well hand in hand water power or hydropower was the resource that humanity invested in in particular last century but it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and even longer where we did things like uh, mills etc off of water power so it's a great resource where you can use it the challenge with hydropower is that to do it in scale you generally have to do some amount of of um, building up dams and when you do those dams you have impacts on communities and that becomes somewhat of a problem um, especially when you take advantage of of indigenous peoples who are living on those lands and living off mm -hmm. those lands and then you're wiping them out that's not a good thing but yeah. run of the river hydro is a wonderful thing tidal power is starting to come of its own and uh, if you've ever seen seen the uh the bay of fundy you can see an amazing piece of um that's in canada or off of nova scotia mm -hmm. and the amazing thing with that is that the tide rises 30 feet in the bay of fundy and they've been trying to capture this energy of this massive tidal power in the bay of fundy for years and the problem has been that it keeps breaking all the technology because the power is just so intense they can't wow. handle it right but we're starting to find techniques and opportunities to do it even 
given there. And I think tidal power is another interesting form of water power and capturing that will be a step in the right direction as well. But ultimately everywhere on the earth, there's some amount of sun. And when you can capture that sun and use it, it's great. Everywhere on the earth, there's a certain amount of wind. And when you can capture it and use it, that's a wonderful thing as well. And so, yeah, my two favorites are solar and wind power with some amount of, of hydro water power where you can use it, where it makes sense. And then biomass is an interesting thing. So biomass mm. has interesting possibilities and capturing the methane from decaying organisms is another interesting possibility. The challenge with it is that it's all, when you have biomass, there's still some amount of emissions that you're still going to have, right? And capturing those emissions and not having that destroy the environment while you're capturing them or you can't capture all of them. That's really the challenge. That's where the challenge becomes. So lots of great opportunities, but each one has its own kind of cost benefits and challenges with them. Yeah, a bit like we talked about when I was guest on your podcast, it's a little bit of everything. There's not one solution. We're not just going to go everything to solar because that's not the way the world works. It's it's this sort of blend. And that's kind of what our energy, at least in the UK, has been like. It's been a blend of lots of different um, energy sources for a while. But we have rising gas prices now here in the UK. And I wanted to talk to you about this. We're having warnings of shortages, despite our prime minister here saying, all our electricity will come from clean sources by 2035. We've had some issues here. In fact, today on the news, a glass production factory, which lots of people might think, well, I'll use glass instead of plastic. Um, they need a lot of heat. They're using gas to make their glass. And I think they said their bills will go from £40 million to £100 million because of this issue. Um, and I know that there have been issues recently on that side of the pond with Texas and their recent power issues. So I just wanted to get your sort of expertise and thoughts on this. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting and fascinating time, right? So in this transition, we need to make this transition, first of all, just to be really clear. If we don't make this transition, you can see the extreme weather events that are happening all around the globe, everything from droughts and wildfires through floods and tornadoes and hurricanes, more extreme, more frequent events that are happening. It's because we've literally saturated the environment. The seven plus billion of us on this planet, all women and mankind, all earth kind, we are now a force of nature and we are literally changing our environment all around us. And if we don't make this transition to clean energy, we will see catastrophic impacts that will literally wipe us all out. And that would be a real shame because we have such promise in both you and I, and then all the rest of us. We were just actually, getting to know each other. You know, <laughs> we're just like starting, right? And then we have our kids and our grandkids that we want to actually have a future. So first, we've got to make this transition. Mm -hmm. But the, the challenge in the transition are the birth pains of any new change, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing is that we're seeing folks on the one hand start to make the transition and there's wonderful things that are happening there. On the other hand, as we make this transition, there's going to be these burps, blips, whatever you want to call them, that will be problematic and that we have to deal with. And one of the transitional strategies that I think is there, and I'm just having a podcast myself come out in the awesome EarthKind podcast, it's about capturing the carbon that are coming out of these large manufacturing facilities and then using, capturing that, taking it out of the atmosphere so it's not going in and creating more problems and then actually turning that into usable substances that we can use. And one of the biggest places, which is fascinating to me, is that when you take a look at the total carbon output of humanity at this point, it's about 
40 gigatons. So that's 40,000 million tons a year of carbon that we're producing. Massive. It feels like a lot. It seems like a lot. I don't right? know it the zeros on that. I feel it like a that's lot. a lot. It's massive. It's massive, right? It's huge, <laughs> right? And we've got to take it out because if we get another 10 years of this going, we're going to have it hit different tipping points. It's going to be really catastrophic. Fascinating other side of things, which came out in this most recent podcast with some guys out in California that now have a, um, a Blue Planet Corporation, Systems Corporation, that basically is realizing that across the globe, we have 50 gigatons worth of cement that we use every year for our buildings and our roadways and everything else that we're doing. So 40 gigatons of carbon, 50 gigatons of cement that we're already using. We're digging up limestone. We're digging up things like the, you know, um, in the cliffs of Dover, this carbon it, which basically microorganisms took the carbon out of the atmosphere and mineralized it, right? And that's what the cliffs of Dover, the white cliffs of Dover are. That's what limestone is. The main ingredient in cement is limestone. And it's this same type of aggregate that's made up primarily of carbon. So if we can take things like the glass plant and like other power plants that are spewing massive amounts of carbon out in the atmosphere, capture that carbon and turn it into cement, now we already have a clear pathway. We're already using, instead of digging it out of the earth, we can just capture it from these plants and use it in cement. We can start to encapsulate that and have an impact on that. So that's an interesting technology because it Mm. basically takes advantage of what we're already doing. There's already spending that we're doing. Instead of digging it out of the earth, we're now capturing it from other processes. And as a transitional strategy, it's a great step in the right direction. And we need to do more of that, right? We need to do that across the board with every piece. And, and, you know, the reality is, is that, look, if you're on fossil fuels, your costs are going up. No fact of, no doubt about it. That's just a fact of the matter. It's just going mm. to keep going up because it's a limited resource and it's going to get, as we get a more carbon constrained world and people keep realizing that, gosh, you know, all these tremendous events are costing us in human lives. They're costing us in misery. They're costing us in finances. We had in the United States, $22 billion extreme weather events last year. It was the most in history so wow. far. We just had another one with Hurricane Ida. It was a $50 billion event. Boom, just like that. $50 billion worth of economic damage, we can't keep continue going down this line. We have to make this transition. So for folks like your glass plants, you know, look, get to renewables, period. Mm-hmm. The cheapest source of power, and it keeps getting cheaper and cheaper because the more we use, the cheaper it gets are renewables. It's solar and it's wind and it's battery storage that's starting to come so we can have it on demand. Will it be difficult for a glass plant which uses major amount of energy and heat to do? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a step. It's going to be a a transitional strategy. But those strategies are starting to happen in every industry across the world. We talked a little bit on when you were on my podcast about, uh, you know, there's no planes yet. There are starting to be planes that are being run on solar, believe it or not. They're only doing a few hundred miles right now but there are planes that are starting to do it it's major it's massive and then you take a look at renewable hydrogen and the fact that um you know when you take water it's h2o right it's hydrogen and oxygen when you take solar and wind and other forms of renewables and you crack water into hydrogen and oxygen now you've got hydrogen that you can put back into a fuel cell and that's what we've done with the space programmed for years is use fuel cells, which is hydrogen and oxygen, and use it to combine. And the only output you get is electricity and water. 
golly, what a nice, wonderful thing, right? So that completes the cycle. And I think folks are starting to realize that we can do this with all different ways and industries and make this happen. And we're going to make it happen. We have to make it happen. Yeah. I, lo- I mean, those stats about the environmental cost are really quite shocking. And I think it's, it is important to make the economic argument, I think, for this, if uh, because it's really quite clear now to all of us. And I was going to ask you what you think the biggest risk to our energy supply is, but I'm, I'm wondering whether you kind of answered it in that last question, because it's remaining on fossil fuels, would you say that's right? Absolutely. I know that about it. I mean, um, and, you know, here's just another side of the equation too, just to go because it first, there is priceless pieces of this, which is that if we don't make this transition, we're gone. And, how, you know, what value do you want to put on your life and your kids' lives and everybody else's, right? So that's the priceless piece of it. But when you look at the economics, the economics are really clear. The cheapest source of power across the planet right now is new solar. That's why new solar and wind are the fastest growing and the dominant form of new generation across the planet everywhere right now today, because the cost has come down so much. There's amazing statistics that are happening out in all over this country and all over the world about how cheap solar has gotten and how cost effective it is. And that's a wonderful thing. But then you look at the economic arguments, right? So the fossil fuel industry is like, oh, we employ so many people. And if you get rid of us, oh my goodness, the impact on the environment and on the economy, and yada, 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 right? <laughs> so in the United States, and I don't know the statistics in this, in your part of the world, I'm so sorry, but uh, you can take a look at it. But in the United States today, there are three times more people employed in clean energy than in the fossil fuel industry. We have over 3.2 million Americans that are working in clean energy, everything from efficiency through clean electricity generation, through heating and cooling, through electric vehicles and clean transportation, three times more working in clean energy today than in the fossil fuel industry. And we're just getting started. So when you take a look at the economic impact and the economic benefits of making this transition that we have to make for our survival, what you realize is that it's not only good for the environment, not only good for our survival, but it's good for the economy too. And it's gonna create jobs and it's gonna save massive amounts, trillions of dollars in, in economic output by being able to make this transition. So there's an economic argument as well. Find out what Ron thinks about energy subsidies after this quick message. Hey, if you want to email a brand but don't know where to start, you can now download a template from my website. It is a handy form that helps you email a company or business and ask them to use less plastic. This is an easy copy and paste. Fill in the gaps and ask that brand about their sustainability goals. Just head to iamandreafox.co.uk to download. We've touched on so many things to do with the economic argument for this. And another one I wanted to talk to you about is subsidies. Now, I haven't been able to... um, check the source for this quote but it has been suggested something like 11 million dollars per minute is the subsidy to the fossil fuel industry i have no idea if that's the us or globally Uh, you probably know better than me how do we feel about subsidies because that is another thing that's costing us isn't it if we stick with fossil fuel yep exactly and you know and and look you know the whole idea behind subsidies will help different industries get started and be able to be competitive and to break through the old ones right well Fossil fuels, you're old now, time has come, offer the subsidies, get done, move on, and you know what? Let the new industries come and kick your butt and take advantage and level the playing field. And yeah, you know, it's like, okay, you want to get rid of subsidies for solar and wind and all the renewables? Fine. You know what? If you did that, fossil fuels would not be able to compete because they've been really 
just having massive subsidies for over 100 years, and it's time for them to lose those subsidies. And yes, will there be some economic impacts in the transition? Absolutely. And that's something that we need to deal with and that Mm -hmm. there are various different schemas out there, proposals out there for how to help really you know, everyday people make this transition because we can't afford to see the price of petrol and gasoline and oil go up so dramatically. But simultaneously, we have to stop using our taxpayer dollars to subsidize an industry that needs to transition out and get to the point where we have a clean energy economy where we can all breathe and live and have a future. So, yep time to get rid of the subsidies and the only subsidies that should be there are for people being able to make the transition in our personal lives so that folks that can't afford it can still do the things that we need to do. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about something you've already touched on as well today, which is extreme weather. And we kind of understand that people listening to this podcast, listeners to your podcast, I think we all understand the connection, but do you think that the average consumer in the US understands that connection between fossil fuels and extreme weather? I think that they haven't until recently, but I think little by little people are waking up to the reality that boy, things have gotten really weird. We are talking about weird weather where in certain parts of this country and certain parts of New York, we're seeing seven, eight, 10 inches of rain within an hour that just creates massive amounts of floods where supposedly hundred year storms or thousand year storms are now coming like every other year or two. Mm-hmm. It's been really weird. And this weird weather, I think is waking more and more people up to the fact that things are not right. And the environment is changing and where is that coming from it's coming from us it's coming from mm-hmm. seven billion people we're literally a force of nature now and we're changing the course of of our environment we're changing our climate we're changing the very world that we live on and we have to recognize that and i think more people are starting to wake up to that reality that we are a force of nature and that mm-hmm. yep there is a connection between everything that we do and the impact that we're having on the planet and it's coming back to us yeah, yeah, interest, that interesting. I have to agree with you, to be honest. And you talk about millimeters. I think London had 35 millimeters in the space of six hours. And that, and I feel like that happened a month ago as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, an interesting time with that realization for lots of people. Um, I wanted to ask as well, when it comes to energy, not wasting energy as a consumer, have you got any tips for us? Sure. Um, many. And it's everything from just self-awareness about what you're doing and where you're going and how you're getting there. So just be aware of that. And, you know, do you really need to hop in the car to go take a trip across town to go do this today, right now? Or can you wait and do one trip later, which combines a bunch of different things? So that's just a simple, easy way. Um, In our homes, definitely things like just turning off the lights or having the thermostat a little bit different. So you're not Wait, you're still within the range of comfort, but maybe you're at the edge of the range of comfort during the hot season. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's there's various different ways of dealing with that, right? And then there's everything from simple things like folks don't realize a lot of times that we even have filters in our heating system, heating and cooling system that need to be changed. Well, when you don't change those filters, what happens is that stuff gets built up. It's not good for your health. It's not good for the air. You get mold and all sorts of nasty things built up on those filters. 
filters and they work less efficiently because the air doesn't flow through them. So change your filters, have a maintenance program there. And then, you know, when you have things like lighting, right? So just move to LED lighting. LED lighting is much more efficient. It uses tremendous amounts of less energy. You won't change your light bulbs as often because the light bulbs last that much longer. Get a good LED light bulb and now you'll save money on both your electricity as well as your maintenance changing costs of changing out those light bulbs. And then there's everything else in between with upgrading and seeing how your, your furnace and your boiler and your hot water system works and using a more efficient way of doing that. Um, and when you can go to clean energy for all of it, because a lot of us can, we haven't realized it yet, but almost anywhere you are, you can move to a clean energy source of generation. And whether it's just choosing your electricity provider and seeing where that energy is coming from, or if you can make the transition to solar on your house, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. Chat to an expert about it for sure. And I have to say, we've been in our new build flat with LED lights for three years, not even changed a light bulb in that whole time. It's amazing, no, it's not, right? And it doesn't look like it's going to happen any day now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask as well if you have any tips for things to look out for when we are choosing our clean, renewable energy provider. Sure, absolutely. And, and you know, everywhere's a little bit different, but the first thing to take a look at is um, what is the deal that you're getting into? How long does that particular deal last? So what you don't want to do is wind up switching your provider and then find out that you're locked into a long-term program and that great deal that you got for the first month, um, in the second or third month, all of a sudden it looks a lot different. So first, take a close look at your, at your agreements and what do they say and what are you getting yourself into and just making sure that that's good and clearly look at what are the sources of generation that they're using. A lot of providers promote that they're using renewable energy sources, and maybe they are, hopefully they are, but a lot of times it winds up being a small percentage of the total. And then when you take a look a little bit behind the curtain, you'll find that, gosh, yeah, they have some amount of solar and, or some amount of wind, but really the majority of it is coming from fossil fuels. So you want to take a close look at what are those energy sources that they're claiming and actually producing. Um, depending upon where you are in the world, there are various different consumers consumer organizations that help you take that look and make sure that people's claims are real. But the first thing is to just look at what they're saying. Is it 100% renewable? What are the sources of that power? How much of it is from the air, the water, the earth, or the sun? How much of it are those awesome forces of nature versus how much of it is actually fossil fuels behind the scene? And then what is your out and what is your uh, long-term contract look like if it's a long-term contract? Or can you get out of it if it is a long-term contract? What are the penalties if you wanted to get out? So a few different consumer tips there to just keep an eye and take a look at and make sure you know what you're doing excellent excellent i think the time has probably come to ask about your code red climate code red congress tell yeah. us a little about this how can people get involved so in the United States right now, but it's the same all across the globe, is there are various different initiatives that are being proposed. In the United States, uh, there's an initiative called Build Back Better. And what it is, is a multi-trillion dollar investment into clean energy, into a, an advanced civilization in the United States to take us off of fossil fuels and help us make this transition to clean electricity, clean heating and cooling, clean transportation across the board. So the climate 
crisis and that's what code the hashtag code red climate is all about is a, an international effort actually to focus in on the climate and to get every government to make the policy changes that we need in the united states it's code red congress which is a website that can help you reach your elected representatives whether that's your congressional people or your united states senators and urge them to take this policy step to build back better to invest in an advanced economy that would be clean energy base that will help us make this transition. So Code Red Congress, for those in the States, across the world, hashtag Code Red Climate. And you'll see many artists and musicians and other folks that are supporting this effort across the globe to help make this transition that humanity absolutely has to make happen if we're going to survive. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. We always ask our guests two questions. We've come to that point already. So we are... The Age of Plastic podcast, it's a good material, but we've just used it completely the wrong way. And now it's caused so many issues for us. But is there an item made of plastic in your life that you are thankful for? Yes, indeed. It happens to be this one right here, which oh. luckily I took a advantage of. So this one is a reusable water bottle, which is fantastic, right? So it's no longer single-use plastic. It actually mm -hmm. comes from my friends at Reverb.org, which I did a web best, uh, a podcast with. Um, Reverb.org is an international nonprofit organization based out of the States, but it works with musicians to lead the way on climate and on environmental issues. And part of what they do is they sell these nifty little reusable bottles, which are great. They got a little thing on them. They just keep it all That's nice gym and safe. perfect, isn't it? It That's, is just yeah. wonderful, right? And you'll see <laughs> some hook. major, some major musician and artists that use this, um, this is these reusable bottle. This one happens to be done by My Morning Jacket, which is an interesting musician group. Yep. Um, but they work with Dave Matthews bands and a whole host of others. If you take a look at reverb.org, um, great organization doing wonderful thing, having musicians and artists who can speak and reach millions of people who are leading the way on environmental issues and in particular on this climate and on this build back better bill in the united states i love that and the global citizen talking of like music and climate that was another great example of bringing all of these industries and things together everything is connected as i always say Absolutely. um ron final question for you then your environmental hero please boy you know, there are a great many of them, but one of my mentors and, and my hero is a guy named Dennis Hayes. And most people have never heard of Dennis Hayes. They have no idea who this guy is. But in the United States in 1970, he was the lead organizer for a little project that he then took worldwide, which is Earth Day. And Earth Day has now become the largest secular holiday in the world. It's celebrated on pretty much every country across the planet has some type of Earth Day events. And Dennis has gone on in addition to helping to create this international Earth Day movement across the whole planet. He also runs an organization in Seattle, Washington, which in the United States has the least amount of sun of any of the 48 contiguous states in the country and in Seattle, Washington with his nonprofit foundation, he built a building, a six story tall building and was told that he couldn't make it become a net zero energy building. And not only did it become a net energy, net zero energy building being powered by solar, geothermal heating and cooling, energy efficient lighting, water saving faucets and toilets and all sorts of things, but it's actually a net energy generator so it's regenerative this six-story building in seattle with the least amount of sun of anywhere in the 
continental United States. So, so Dennis has been a longtime hero of mine. I first met him when I was an organizer of Earth Day in 1990, and he had, at that point, 200 million people across the planet being organized. Now there's over a billion that participate in Earth Day events every year. And so I would have to say that Dennis is probably my, my one environmental hero who leads the way. There's many others. They're all, all of us in our own way are environmental impactors. And I am so pleased to meet you doing Aww. your work and this podcast to help raise the issues. And, you know, I think it's all us little folks who make a tremendous difference. But, uh, but yeah. So you. glad I got a chance to chat to Ron. You can find out more about his awesome Earthkind podcast, including how to turn carbon into concrete, which you mentioned there, and talking to the founder of Reverb, bringing climate and live music together. They're just some of the latest episodes. If you want to delve into more energy issues with Ron and all the details of how to get hold of him, as always, in the show notes. On to our good news section of the show. Congratulations to my French friends. France is now banning plastic on fruit and vegetables. This law was implemented in February of 2020. January of 2022, you will now no longer be able to sell a list of about 30 fruits and vegetables covered in plastic in the whole of France. We love to see it. Now on to the guilty consumer section of the show. I've been saying for ages, I wish I'd call this guilty consumer. I feel guilty about everything. That's what made me start this podcast. I feel guilty about waste. That is why I started this podcast. And this is all about pits today, armpits. Now, I know there is a difference between antiperspirant and deodorant, but I have been looking for a plastic-free antiperspirant deodorant for some time now, and I have not found one. Thank you for joining in the conversation on Instagram when I posted a picture of my sweaty armpit at Age of Plastic Podcast on Insta. Only lost one follower. Thank you for that. I honestly don't necessarily feel that we need to be worrying about aluminium and parabens in our cosmetics. You know I'm a bit of a beauty fan. I think that some of the original science around that was maybe slightly flawed. What I really want is an antiperspirant that features some aluminium that works, but I haven't been able to find that in non plastic if you have any tips for me do let me know because i'm feeling incredibly guilty about the fact that i have three eco deodorants if you want to call them and i know i'm not going to use them because i know i just don't seem to find that they work they're unopened what do i do with them do i use them even though i don't really like them and i don't really think they work do i donate them we have beauty banks here in the uk where you can donate unused cosmetics to people who might need them but should I really be donating stuff if I know I wouldn't use it? That's the rule with charity shops, right? If it's busted and you wouldn't wear it, don't donate it. I'm feeling guilty. I have consumed, I have overconsumed, and I'm feeling guilty about it. Let me know your thoughts. Loads of you have been connecting with me over email recently. I really appreciate that. You know who you are. Thank you so much. You can find all the contact details and the links to our socials to see that sweaty picture of my armpit wherever you are listening right now. We'll be back next week with another brilliant guest on the Age of Plastic podcast. Until then, don't forget to tag me where you are listening out in nature to this podcast. 